Okay, so we're going to do poetry, right? I'm here all week. Um. Poetry night rings through. On Monday, July the accursed 22nd, we said... Here's a sonnet that I wrote that, that I kind of like. Heated and hammered and hardened steel, sharpened shard of a fallen meteor, a wood handle touched by lightning's peel with a pommel of heaviest earthen ore. The blood groove fills, flowing in gruesome feast when unleashed in the hand of noble knight, astride his barded, snorting, hellish beast, ordained by lord and land and trained to fight. But sometimes the sword trumps the nobility, and the fury of the elements wins the war waging between humanity and the rising army of all our sins. What of the knights alive ordained today? Think you sword or nobility holds sway? Thank you. Mr. Scott Casey, everybody. We can hear Miles Davis. There is another man. This one is blind and confined to a wheelchair. He sits all day at the coffee house. He has his own corner, and the waitresses take care of him more or less. I write more or less because he's clearly a burden to them. They treat him like a child, and a general attitude is one of disrespect. I see them roll their eyes and laugh at him behind his back. He knows all about this, but what can he do? He's dependent and he's lonely. All day he sits there in the corner listening to other people's conversations. Occasionally I see him laugh at someone else's jokes or stupidities. Every so often he gets excited or courageous and tries to get involved in the conversation. He sort of announces something in, gen in the general direction of the people talking and waits, hopes for a comment. Most don't even hear him. I think he must know music well. For the other day there was music I could just barely hear above the hum of conversation, and he announced, I can hear Miles Davis. I listened closely. And sure enough, could hear the faint but distinctive sound of Miles Davis. He announced again a little louder, I can hear Miles Davis. A few annoyed heads turned to see that it was only the weird guy in the corner and turned away. After a moment, with no response, I heard him say, almost to himself, I really can hear Miles Davis. I want to stand up and I want to scream out, I can hear Miles Davis. I want to take hold of the lonely, ignored man in the wheelchair and spin him around, turning and turning to Miles Davis. 
I want to take him out onto the street and run behind him, pushing him along, shouting and singing, We can hear Miles Davis. I want to mow down people, stampede through gaping crowds, crash through windows, mow down telephone poles, street lights, tear up chunks of concrete, burn with belief, bathe in the hot blood of God, lift off into the skies past the silence of the moon, over the stumbling rings of Saturn, through the blue moons of Neptune, rocket to the whistling razor edge of the Milky Way, spinning always around the wheelchair man, shouting with him, We can hear Miles Davis. But I don't. I sit here at my table, calmly sipping my cup of coffee, pondering this life like Jonah stuck in the belly of the whale, trying somehow to take hold of my skull and shake it into some real and authentic act, just one act, one solitary act that might give vital substance to my life. I sit here utterly empty of action, trapped within a maze of riddling thoughts. I would grab him, this wheelchair man. I would try to dance and sing with him. I would. But I still have enough sanity to understand that such actions would only frighten and upset him. He doesn't want any earth-shattering experience. He just wants a friend who might treat him with respect, whom he might listen to or talk to about music, with whom he might relieve a bit of his loneliness. And I sit here, and all I can think in my head is, I can hear Miles Davis. That was Scott Casey, everybody. Let's give it up really big for Tatum. Okay, so my poem is really, really short, and I feel like it doesn't make any sense at all, so I'm going to preface it a little bit, but I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing. I'm not. I'm just saying it's really weird and whatever. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot lately about things that don't go together, but I wish did. Um, And I went recently to Woodby Island to a place called EB's Landing. Has anyone been there? Oh, my gosh. Okay, it's this place where... um, and the hills sort of like tumble into the ocean, but they're covered in wheat still. So it's like wheat and ocean at the same time, and it looks like desert and water, which like never happens. And so it's really pretty, but it like looks like it shouldn't exist. Um, and so this poem is for that place, um, like that physical place, but also that place that like I feel like a lot of us are in a lot of the time where you're like stuck in between things or you wish something can happen that just like absolutely cannot happen. Um, Okay, so this is called E.B. Some mornings stir into each other like skin and other skin. We didn't go asking the knife through the apple. It split fast, pulling yolk out the sack and you thinking yellow, thinking cracked about lines, hers. The landing of evergreens jetting back into the earth, then the bluff of wheat surviving against the ocean yell, I want you to know me. Driftwood. The soak and bone dry, the anchored in between, in memory, muscle rust, and sand. Thank you. So next up, I would like to ask Dee to come to the stage. I watched the blue car come alive, not like some well-behaved luxury thing with all the uncertainty sucked out of it. It snorted instead 
shook awake, blasted my ear with its loud intention to go somewhere, anywhere, anxious to get started. And the driver, strutting his stuff and dangling his magic remote, thinks that he holds the key to their next destination and all the scenic routes they will take on their way to more adventures. He reminds me of innocent parents who haven't yet learned that giving life doesn't equate to owning. Thanks, Dee. That was Dee, everybody. Give her a keep. Keep it going. All right, so next up we have Mr. Chris Gusta coming up to the microphone. This one was called Red Flag. The last thing I expected when I snapped the buckle on was that half an hour later this asshole would sucker punch me in the bathroom and that 15 minutes later I'd forget where I was going and walk onto the lawn with the bright streaming sunlight so bright that I had to sit down, not in class, but here on the lawn because 10 minutes earlier I'd picked myself up off the floor and shaken my head and 15 minutes after that the nurse would call my mom and she'd take me home where I'd crawl under the blankets even though the sun was warm and streaming and a light behind my eyes would put me to sleep dreaming of 14 minutes before when I'd wondered about the scope and the natures of our violences and some blood dripped from his ear as I watched that asshole on the ground being kicked by three of my friends and all we had wanted to do was play flag football. And uh, in tribute to the season. I have been plum crazy, but now I've eaten all of the plums, eating the crazy out of my stomach. Can you see how the crazy stains my shirt? Spitting seeds into the driveway. In the winter, I starve with want. I order fruit from foreign lands to stave it off, raid carefully planned pantries of preserves. How long before I know you, straight jacket? How long before I know you, prodding electrode? I see them all in the November orchard. They were surrounding me on all sides, but there was no need the way the roots had grown around my fingers. I wake up sometimes screaming, get the fuck out of my orchard, but they are not there. The orchard is dead and withered. But now is the sun time. The orchard is vibrant with purple. The orchard is bustling with bees. The orchard smells like semen. It is said that when John Wayne died, there were 40 pounds of undigested meat in his intestine. I, too, want to stuff myself to exploding. The autopsy should show that I died exuberant, the flesh festering in my belly, the purple still staining my hands. They will know that I am overflowing with this bitter fruit and why I want to be buried in summer. Thanks. So next up we have Dr. Gary Wade coming up here. Uh, good evening. Uh, 
I stood on this rock as high as my head, my fine and private place, and I watched the horsemen sweeping in as my brothers did in the race. In the grass below, the women turned to the tents I hold so dear, and if they cried out, their voices were lost in the winds that blow up here. Some went down as the horses passed, while others dodged and ran, so I shouted out a cheer for the game as grown-up children can. Then a brown-faced horseman turned his mount up here where I danced and cheered, and as he approached, I clearly saw the terrible way he sneered. Leaning down, he swept me up toward the clouds and the blue bowl sky, and quite so fast by my heels I swung, I hadn't the chance to cry. I saw this light of the sun expand, or my rock, my safety place, then a whiter, brighter light burst forth as my head burst through my face. Now I wait for my mother to come and take away all my fear. But summers come and the summers go and our tents are gone from here. Thank you. Ooh, Dr. Gary Wade. Next up, we have Miss Laura Rohr. In the food court, God's forsaken a funnel. We forgot why sedentary plastic skimmed by pennies, a hole for a charity. The cost, an ignoramus waste for a cause. To drop a penny is a pleasure. Watch it skid marble sounds into the hole. Scooped for a cause. The color of ladies' diaphragms. In Bangladesh, women were buried by rubble. Seamstresses. Sewn clothes bought before the god-forsaken food court. <laughs> That's my poem. <laughs> I like where you were going with that. That's good. That's good. Uh, Ryler, I didn't tell you you're up next, but okay. So, Laura, everybody, let's give a hand for Laura. Uh, And up next, we have Mr. Ryler Dustin. All right. It's called Summer. It's by uh, a poet named John Ashbery. There is that sound like the wind forgetting in the branches that means something nobody can translate. And there is the sobering later on when you consider what a thing meant and put it down. For the time being, the shadow is ample and hardly seen, divided among the twigs of a tree, the trees of a forest, just as life is divided up between you and me and among all the others out there. And the thinning out phase follows the period of reflection. And suddenly to be dying is not a little or mean or cheap thing, only wearying, the heat unbearable. And also the little mindless constructions put upon our fantasies of what we did, summer, the ball of pine needles, 
the loose fates serving our acts with token smiles, carrying out their instructions too accurately. Too late to cancel them now. And winter, the twitter of cold stars at the pane that describes with broad gestures this state of being that is not so big after all. Summer involves going down as a steep flight of steps to a narrow ledge over the water. Is this it then, this iron comfort, these reasonable taboos? What did you mean it when you stopped? And the face resembles yours, the one reflected in the water. Thanks, Ryder. All right, so last poet for the evening. We have got Mr. Robert Lashley coming on up to the microphone. How y'all doing? Good to see y'all. Um, this poem is called Song for the Neighborhood Bird Rescue Man with a nod to Shirley Caesar. Blood is the sunset in late September. Blood is the concrete in the mass of the birds. The homie in white will take them. Wings that were broke and left in migrations. Wings that were caught in aromas intoxicants, illusory until their downslope. The homie in white will bring them home. Illusory as gun wounds and necks caught in lines in rickety power structures. The homie in white will take them home. Lord, I'll go sweeping through the city. Oh, my Lord, where my niggas have rolled, rolled before. At dusk, home goings are everywhere. Agony moves through rickety storefronts. Agony lies still in the gravel. At dusk, the hood brother finds place after place to clean them and give them a burial. We will stand someday by, by a river. Won't be back from this town no damn more. The homie in white will take them. The homie in white will bring them home. Thank you. This new poem um, is called In Seeing You in the World Above Me. In seeing you in the world above me, the moon left up from her rock and shadow and bless you, to bless you, then give us space to move back the water and make the sun obsolete and the beach life a quiet mass, to erase all fixative definitions of sight from bodies shapes and movements to transform the sparkled tips of your fro to a sun that never set on me and seeing you in the world above me the moon declared time a human error declared sound and movement of no worldly worth when divorce from the space between us thank you
All right, that was Robert Lashley. And he wrapped it up for us. So that's it.